tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Getaway Photo, Looking for Angeline, and Mom and Pop Murders. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. An actual episode this time, uh, where mm-hmm. we talk about unsolved mysteries. I'll be, mm-hmm. I'll be glad when we get this on the air because I've been kind of insecure about like, you know, as much as I love the Halloween uh, special we did, I couldn't help but like just imagine the fourteen new people who are just discovering our podcast for, for the first time that week. Like listening, like wait, this isn't about unsolved mysteries at all. What what's going on? <laughs> uh, I, I know yeah. we we, we explain mm-hmm. things at the beginning, but <laughs> anyway, I I just wanted to to say how how glad I am that we're that we're doing this podcast, and I like doing this podcast with you, Crystal, very much. Thank you for. I yes. I like doing this podcast with you too. This is going to be episode seventy. Yes, season four. Episode 19, 19. of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, We're just yep, get, getting, that's right. getting that out of the way. Um, yeah. Now, In case anyone's like playing along at home yeah. with watching Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> I I have, <laughs> I can, I embarrassingly confessed to uh, uh, another podcast that I listened to that I've been keeping mm-hmm. a spreadsheet of their, uh-huh. Uh, of all the, uh, sort of the law. Uh, it, it, it's for the Viewmasters podcast. I know I advertise mm-hmm. for them for a lot on our, our show, but that like the, there's there's certain things that are like just frequent things that get brought up, such as bald balding baldness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, a story about trying to ask out a cashier uh, who worked at Toys R Us when when you know they were twenty and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and so i've been just keeping a spreadsheet to see how often some of these things uh uh, repeat i don't know why i kind of felt weird admitting it on uh to to their podcasts on twitter um Mm -hmm. they they liked the 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 tweet the the reply but they did not Mm -hmm. write anything in response to it so i feel that's a a uh they're, they weren't creeped out, but they're they're just not like it wasn't anything that excited them. Uh, though maybe I didn't go in enough detail. I'm sorry. Uh, this isn't this is not about this is not a podcast <laughs> about Viewmasters. <laughs> um, or is it a podcast about spreadsheets? Because I have a lot to say. <laughs> well, if if you want to talk about spreadsheets, we could talk about spreadsheets. I I I would mind. I don't. That's all I do all day. And no, I don't want to talk oh, okay. about spreadsheets. <laughs> I just, I just hit the table Pro- I'm recording on, so I, I, I don't. There'll probably be a sound in, in, in the final episode, but that's okay. We're, we're doing this. That's why we have a, we have a producer is to edit those little things out, yeah. right? I don't know about that. Did we say this is an unsolved mysteries podcast? I know we mentioned unsolved mysteries. It is. You know, it's it's probably uh, it's probably not so much an unsolved mystery, though uh, maybe more a mm. mystery that's just simply beyond my technical comprehension. But uh, as you know, I'm currently living in a trailer until I uh, mm-hmm. re- reconstitute myself financially, and the door and also corpor- corporally, right? You're looking to reconstitute yourself corporally. I, uh, yeah, um, sort of like. What, what are you thinking? Like, uh, sort of like, like. Doctor, I just wanted doctor... to pretend for a moment that you were a ghost. Like, I was okay. actually, th- I was thinking like a ghost, or thinking like Mister Nobody from Doom Patrol. I don't think I've watched Doom Patrol. Nobody has seen Doom Patrol. It came out on like some random ass streaming channel, like the DC Universe. I don't even know. I don't even know what channel it came out on, but we watched all of it recently. Hmm. And it's it's like uh, it's really campy. 
Okay, campy's campy's knowing it knows what it's doing with the camp. It's like not accidentally campy and bad. It's like actively campy. That that's good. That's good. I I I can go for that. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, it was good. We enjoyed it. We had a good time. I liked it. It's got Brendan Fraser, Fraser, Brendan Fraser in it. Man, he hates it when people call him Fraser. Yeah, um, I almost did it just now. Sorry, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Fraser, yeah. Uh, wow, that's cool. I haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, he was in that. They did another Mummy movie, right? Mm, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Not, I not, don't know. A few years ago, and it, and it and I'm not talking about the Tom Cruise one. So it, mm-hmm. it it was like it was like a Far East China sort of themed huh. thing. Yeah, mm. I saw a poster. Yeah, I, I saw a poster of it in the movie theater, and I don't think I. Yeah, he's. Brandon Fraser is still with us and still doing fun work. So, just cool. how did we get on this? I don't know. Because you were going to reconstitute yourself financially, aka oh. we were going to talk about your trailer door. Oh, you're right. My trailer door is kind of disintegrating. Um, mm-hmm. I think like stuff is falling out of the bottom of it and as a result it's kind of becoming mm. flimsy uh yeah i'm, I'm mm. i've sort of duct taped it together and I, okay I, I was about to ask about the duct tape situation <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i bought i bought one of the high quality ones not like a dollar store uh roll of tape and i'm just like mm-hmm. dumping glue and uh, glue products into crevices or 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 spots. Um, I don't think I can get the door to actually close. Um, mm. But I'm wrapping, I'm gluing uh, some rope I got around, uh, around the door handle. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to like attach it to something and hook it. So like when I, when I'm inside, I'll, you know, I can, I'll, pull the rope and hook the thing on the end of it to like another hook and it'll just keep it closed while I'm in here. And then when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm gone away, I'll just put something heavy against the door. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to be able to move out of this trailer not too long from now because soon uh, a lot of my money's been diverted to something in the, in the last few mm-hmm. months, but soon that will be over, and I can just, uh, um, I'll just, you know, I'll get ready. I'll find a room where I can take my two kitties with me, and mm-hmm. just play it from there. Um. So if you would like to uh, join our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash reenacted pod to help uh robbie fix his freaking door i guess now oh, that, they always that. make the joke that we do this to you know we have the patreon to keep the lights on but that's uh, honestly quite literally what it does sometimes yeah. Uh, so. yeah i well you know and a note on that the those tote bags i ordered the unsolved mm-hmm. mysteries tote bags they never arrived yeah so oh, um, there's some there's some other cool unsolved mystery stuff though. So I'll just stuff some other random things in those boxes <laughs> where the tote would have gone, and I'll get get it mailed off. Um, but anyway, enough enough about all that. You we're approaching ten minutes, and you people want to listen to unsolved mysteries talk, I assume. I'm really excited for this first uh, segment because it takes us back to Nevada. I feel like we've been visiting the Silver State a lot in this show, in this this fourth season. I just feel right? like there's a lot of like wicked shit that happens in Nevada generally. That was my experience living there. Oh. Like, just wild-ass stuff going on all the time. <laughs> I see. No wonder we were so mm. eager to get out of the state. This, this particular segment takes us down the southern part of the state to Henderson, Nevada, where we get mm-hmm. a bank robbery. I think this was in November of 1991. Uh, and it's a, it's a real uh, one half 
of the members and many more years of the age of the point break situation. We got two guys. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's like geriatric point break almost. Yeah. At least in the reenactment. Two guys in mask, one of whom is uh, wearing like a sort of long haired mask of like a hippie with purple skin. I I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the other guy is just he's wearing one of those masks where it's just kind of like a transparent mask. Uh, mm-hmm. which I was going to say, like, oh, that doesn't strike me as something that would really hide your identity. But I have to admit, like, the thing is, is him wearing it. I really couldn't make out his face. But still, mm-hmm. that, that strikes me as the kind of mask that you would feel really insecure about. Like, I mean, if they're handy, like, right. if your partner comes at, he's like, okay, I got two masks. And he puts on, like, the total identity con- concealing purple uh, mask with long hair, and then he gives you this transparent disc to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to press over your face. You got to feel like is this guy trying to set me up to get caught or something? Well, I think it's one of those things that like it doesn't photograph well or come across on like CCTV cameras. Have you ever seen those? There's these things that they sell that are kind of like clear but distorted. Uh, license plate covers. Okay. Have you seen these things? No. And the idea is that like um, some it's like those uh, cameras that are at red lights can't photograph them. Like they're too reflective and distorted once, you know, the flash of the camera hits them. But you can, during the day, like if you were to use your headlights or uh, during the daytime, you'd be able to see the license plate numbers just fine. But the idea is that like the light refraction and i think that's what's going on with the clear mask is the idea that like to the camera's eye you're so distorted and then uh, and then obviously like in the reenactment with the clear mask you couldn't really make out his features it's just it's kind of like he had vaseline all over his face right right i mean it it does seem effective i just to me i would feel really uncomfortable with (laughs) being handed it uh but i mentioned that because it comes into play later in this segment um, these two guys, they they bust into the was it the Valley Bank in Henderson. The manager's mm-hmm. there. They hold him at gunpoint, and they're like, "I was very, con- I was a slightly confused by the exchange because they're like, you know, I mean, they're they're trying to sort out like, you know, what the current situation is in the bank, and part of that was him re- having to reveal his his." what his morning routine was going to be like. He's like, well, I have to turn on my computer and then check my mail. And they're like, basically like, mm-hmm. yeah, do that. It was like, what, what, what? Anyway. <laughs> uh, but as it turned out, um, they needed him to, cause they, they want to get into the vault and he has the first half of the sequence for the code. So mm-hmm. he gets, he gets them that far, but then they have to wait for a, um, a woman who's uh, another member of management to show up so that she can give mm-hmm. him the them the second part of the code. It's, I mean, this vault's sort of operating kind of like that uh, that vault on um, Die Hard, you know, where it has like first mm-hmm. it has the pass code and then you have to get through the five mechanical locks and then there's the electromagnetic lock. Like these guys are having to like just do a lot of. Uh, a lot of steps, but they yeah. they they make it into the vault. Uh, one of them's in there collecting the money. He you know tells tells one of them to go wait by his partner, and the other to go wait outside the vault door. And mm-hmm. we sort of get a situation where uh, almost sitcom com writing, where like new new employees keep coming in and keep having to like join the the group of people being held up. anyway so (laughs) what i thought that was legitimately funny i'm I'm glad you you know what's weird is that is that unsolved mysteries like actually gave us the bank code to the vault (laughs) it was weird how they just like gave us those numbers it was like too much of the reenactment you know Right, right. It, it went into a certain, in some ways, it went into quite a bit of detail. And 
I, I know. I guess I assume that's not the the real number. At least that not the number they're using now after the robbery. But, um, yeah, we we at the same time, I guess some some one of them hit the silent alarm because they get a call, and uh, the bank manager, like he he picks up the phone while the one guy's watching him, and has one of those conversations where he's trying to signal that something's wrong without actually giving it away so when the dispatcher's mm-hmm. like are you okay is everything all right i suppose so <laughs> and uh you know other other things and after the phone conversation ends the robber's like did you trip the silent alarm and he's like no no that's that's the guy across the street uh uh the who owns that business he was just he was worried uh, that something's wrong. I need to go out and talk with him and make sure, you know, just tell him that everything's fine. Otherwise, he'll he'll call the police. And for some reason, the robbers agree to this. Uh, yeah, it was they. I, I don't know. They seem like really dumb. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it was uh, it was an inexplicable move. I mean, because it's like well. Are you really going to go with on the honor system with this guy? Uh, and so the manager, the hero he is, walks out of the bank, <laughs> leaving his his tellers. Um, and w- the uh, one of his employees ends up having to be taken as a hostage. Um, and this is where yeah, we they get- had to do it. Yeah, I guess <laughs> to get away. So, uh, and the guy with the clear face mask takes it off and throws it on the ground uh, while still in the bank, which just just strikes me as an incredibly strange move. But whatever. They get in their car. There's a big chase sequence. A lot of of footage in this chase that that Unsolved Mystery shot. They end up going... Yeah, it was pretty... uh pretty thrilling yeah they did a lot of uh, those hard j turns you know like right car chases at one point the uh like because the they go into a suburban neighborhood sort of setup where that apparently the robbers had scouted out beforehand because they knew every mm-hmm. every twist and turn and where to avoid the dead ends uh mm-hmm. but the you know the the police try to create a barricade to to stop them but amazingly enough Instead of staying on the road, the robbers go onto the sidewalk and they drive through a box of, I don't know, I guess, newspaper, wrapped up newspapers that was on the ground. <laughs> it created, I mean, it was, I, I obviously Unsolved Mysteries was going for one of those, like a car smashes through stuff uh, as part of a chase and <laughs> the production assistant who got tasked with it was only able to come up with like a cardboard box and he just crinkled up some newspapers in. but yeah, it's the, the robbers, they, they get away, but unfortunate for them, apparently a local newspaper reporter was listening in on what was happening. I, I assume on the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so she got into her car, was driving towards the area and actually saw them and she describes the situation where she's arguing with herself in her mind whether she should raise her camera up and take a picture because she's afraid that they'll shoot her if she does and you know we get (laughs) her description of her inner monologue is just hilarious should i (laughs) no no they'll shoot no i uh, uh, no no but she she ends up doing it and she gets a picture and I, um, you know, it, which is very she helpful. She gets a picture-ish. Oh, yeah. The reporter, she takes a picture. Uh, this is a big break. Honestly, though, when I looked at the picture, the guy looked like a Super Mario brother. <laughs> he had this big mustache. Yeah. And- he, look, he, he looked like he still had his yeah. disguise on. He didn't look like a real face. It, it was, was very weird. strange looking. It was like, man, that... That's probably the mask he wished he had. Uh, but, yeah, so we get the... Thankfully, the woman they took hostage, they dumped her out somewhere very shortly thereafter, so she didn't end up getting harmed, uh, I don't think. So, uh, but the two guys, they got away, but we get one of those text updates. 
and the individual that they they t- got the picture of, um, what was his name? William Kirk Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick. Yeah, he mm-hmm. he ended up getting arrested, mm-hmm. but not because of unsolved mysteries. This is just one of those text updates. Instead, uh, he got he was just he was at a random conventional traffic stop, and he got arrested there, and uh, for whatever it was, mm-hmm. and it just so happened he had a one and a half million dollars or or even more in his car. Which I, I mm-hmm. imagine must have raised a lot mm-hmm. of eyebrows when, uh, when he was arrested, and then the other guy, like, I guess he must have already ended up in prison before by the time they realized who he was, and he died in prison. Yeah, I, it was unclear what happened there. At least it was unclear from unsolved mysteries. It seems like he had been arrested for something else, so he was already in prison. Yeah, when they figured out that he was part of those robberies because mm-hmm. it wasn't just the one the one bank they there was oh, a series right. of robberies but this was the one where they got the picture yeah to identify the robbers how did you like this segment <laughs> i <laughs> um i i thought it was pretty thrilling yeah i mean it definitely kept my attention uh i it had a satisfying ending i mean it's it's, it's pretty a to b you know it's not right that crazy of a story although the all the like the tellers that they interviewed and the bank manager and then the reporter like really added some nice color to it because they were part of that oh yeah they, they, story. they, they got everyone involved they each had a, a an interesting perspective on on things it was it was neat sort of hearing all the different pieces come together um mm-hmm. and, and i enjoyed the high-speed chase oftentimes uh, uh, in the past with the show they would probably just cut to the robbers getting in their car and driving away uh, from that mm-hmm. to them arriving wherever they are when they get out of their car. So this, uh, uh, this, this show, uh, the show went full, full car chase on this segment and I appreciate it. Yeah. No, no. Uh, what do you call it? Filler. <laughs> I was gonna say there was no no expense spared. Oh, oh and I forgot yes. the word expense just now. Yeah, I forgot the word expense. <laughs> How often do I, you, you know? Maybe maybe you just use that word too often in your everyday life, and you were sort of tired. Yeah, I think I, I'm really feeling like, um, and we should probably mention this. I I don't want to get into it too much, but probably. If this seems like a low energy episode, I just want to say that we're recording this the Monday before the United States presidential election. <laughs> oh God! And uh, I just really think the anxiety and the anticipation has just worn everyone the fuck out. And um, regardless of where you stand on it, it's just been a lot. And I think I just I that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling a little low energy, a little tired. I didn't want to stop it from you know have that stop us from making. A product here, but uh, I don't. I don't know about you, Robbie, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, may, maybe uh, in a week or two, people will listen to this uh, segment and uh, this whole episode, and they'll be like, "Yeah, man, it feels like years ago that election happened." It will feel like years ago. By the time this episode airs, which will be, I think it'll be Wednesday. It'll be Veterans Day. It'll be Wednesday, November 11th, is when this episode is scheduled to come out um yeah no this this will feel like ten thousand years ago (laughs) (laughs) oh um and i i just you know i i feel like we're we're climbing up the top of the roller coaster right we're we're cranking up the 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 incline and we're right about to get the top of it to drop down and um could, That's gonna that makes it sound more fun than it's probably all gonna be. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to explain to our listeners that we sound a little off or a little burned out. It's just a very anxious time in the United States right now. I don't want to speak for the rest of the world. I don't really know, but I know we have people who listen to this outside of the country, and they're probably pretty sick of hearing about our election too. So that said, we can move on. Just had to be said. Yeah, just had to get it off my chest. Let's 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 hammer this lost love segment. <laughs> I always feel like I'm like the lost love person. 
Am I always the lost love person? Crystal, if you are suggesting that I strategically <laughs> manipulate our discussions over what segments to do so as to avoid <laughs> doing lost loves, I cannot confess to that. Well, it's more like our lost loves like automatically the girl segment and because I'm the girl in the podcast, do I have to do that? It's more like that. Like, is this like the girl segment? <laughs> because I, I can guarantee our listeners that most of the time I don't give a shit about these segments either. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can answer that without getting in trouble. Oh boy! Um, oh boy! <laughs> getting in trouble with the old ball and chain slash me, <laughs> uh, along with like half well, our audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more than half. Got to be honest, it's a true oh, crime podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I guess I'll talk about it. So there's this very nice man. Uh, his name is Barney Dewey. His name is Barney Dewey, and back. As uh, as the story with so many families that were, uh, you know, on the lower socioeconomic spectrum, uh, he has been separated um, for most of his life from his younger sister, Angeline. And they were separated in 1941. Um, like so many of these depression stories, we've had a few now. Mm-hmm. Um, lost love segments where it's just, I mean, I know I mentioned it some probably the last time we talked about it but it's just very like grapes of wrath esque which is there's yeah. this sort of disintegration of the uh, american family and a lot of it has to do with people moving from one socioeconomic status down to another another had to do with like physically moving away from what had been their home mm-hmm. uh in order to survive so there's this whole like reshuffling of uh families during this time and uh barney and angeline were unfortunately a, a casualty of that phenomenon as well so uh here's the deal when barney was 12 Excuse me. When Barney was 12. <laughs> That's very unbecoming um, of you. <laughs> a lesser person would have just blamed that on you, uh, by the way. Uh, that would have been the smart move. People would believe it by this point. <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I'm like, I had some, I had some late, late afternoon taquitos and I'm now I'm sitting on my diaphragm, uh, which is not great for recording either. So now it's just like compressing okay. a whole situation. Yeah. Barney Dewey, 12 years old in 1941. He starts working part-time at a gas station in Abilene, Texas. Um, and during the, uh, during the day when he was working, he, he sort of was in, in charge of Angeline and he had to, you know, start doing adult stuff pretty early in his life because, his um, stepfather, I guess, was chronically ill in the hospital, and then their Evangeline and Barney's mother was working long hours at a garment factory. And, you know, this is Barney's telling us sort of about how tough it was for their family then. Um, and then sort of out of the blue, it seems like, because Barney doesn't give any indication that he knew this Reverend Nichols before mm-hmm. he appears at the gas station. Um, so one, one day in 1941, this, a man named Reverend Nichols, and he has the, the priest collar and stuff on. So I, I guess he really was a reverend. Um, he came to Barney and his sister at the gas station and gave them candy and I guess a little bit of money or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, and he's, and Reverend Nichols says, well, that he's friends with Barney and Evangeline. No. That's not who I'm talking about. Barney and Angeline's mother and that their mother had instructed the kids to go with Reverend Nichols uh, to some other place. So he takes them to a nice hotel and he gives them new clothes and he cleans them up because like in the reenactment before Reverend Nichols comes, they, they make Angeline look like hella raggedy. Like whatever wig they put on this child (laughs) actor has just like pieces like sticking out of it. There's like hay in her hair. They're, both of these kids are hella dirty. Um, you know, I think it might might have been overdone a little bit. 
with painting the picture, but whatever. Um, so he takes them to the hotel. He cleans them up. They have the whole like pretty woman montage. Uh, and mm-hmm. no, they don't do that. It would have been great if they <laughs> no, did. No. But they didn't. Yeah. And um, he gives them, and the reverend gives the kids new clothes, and then he, you know, feeds them the sumptuous dinner, and then they get some professional photographs taken of them together. And there's a in Unsolved Mysteries, you get to see the photograph, and I have to say, Barney looks like a very handsome young man in that picture, and his sister looks very nice as well. They but did. here's what happens. Yes. Here's what happens. Um, <laughs> they get put on a bus, and. Uh, and then uh, Angeline sort of balks at the idea, and she bails, I guess. Um, and then Barney's taken to his foster home. Now, let me explain what foster homes are according to Unsolved Mysteries, at least what they were in de- the Depression. Yeah. This was a way for a family with some kind of chores to do to get a child to do it for free. That has been the universal story so far with this show. Like, um, it, I mean, and what's also <laughs> like the mother and stepfather were never consulted. So there's a lot of like just like straight up child trafficking for labor that's going on during the Depression. Right. They don't call that an unsolved mysteries. That's what we would call it today. Yeah. I We've had in the past, we've had situations where um, some of these unsavory like kid traffickers have resorted to quasi-legal means where they, they like somehow get the parents declared unfit or something by like a judge uh, crooked or not and you know and so forth but this is like the first situation I've seen so far where one of these kid uh, uh, kid traffickers just drives up and is like hey get in the car (laughs) like yeah it is yeah this it was not a, a safe time, apparently, to leave your kids alone in the Great Depression. I mean, honestly, we no, we, I'm... We, we we freak out like we talk about parents freaking out these days about like being too overprotective yeah. with their kids, like oh they got mm-hmm. got to keep their eye on their kids all the time. But honestly, it seems like kids were in far more danger in the 1930s of being whisked away. Hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. I mean, this is this is state by calling it a foster home. This is state sanctioned child trafficking. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. It is taking children without their parents consent away from them. No court date. No nothing. Um, the reason that this picture was taken uh, was basically as an advertisement for potential foster parents. So yeah. this kindly reverend, I'm sure he, in his mind he thought he was doing the right thing. You know, he sees this 12-year-old kid working at this gas station having to watch over his sister. And, you know, he probably thought he was sending him off to a better life. Maybe he was. I don't know. But, like, no consent was given and no, like, hearing was had. No. So um, so here's the deal. Barney gets picked to be taken to a foster home um, by uh, someone someone named Nichols, I guess. Um, oh, Reverend Nichols. Yeah. That, Sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> Reverend Nichols had an adopted son that come, that come for, they, the Reverend and his adopted son come for Barney. Sorry, I got confused here. Um, and so, uh, so what happens is Barney is adopted, adopted, I'm putting that in big air quotes, by Nichols, uh, Reverend Nichols' secretary. Um, that's not mentioned in the show. That's in the Wikipedia, but that kind of makes more sense how this whole trafficking I, situation is going I on. I thought they mentioned it on the show, actually. I remember, like... Did they? Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. He uh, he was giving his employees the inside fix on, on the, the top quality, hardworking kids. Yeah. So, Barney is basically employed as their ranch hand. So, he runs the ranch. And so, the dear Barney tell it, he has a very positive spin, which is like, you know, he was fed and clothed and cared for. Um, and he could basically just, like, do his own thing. Yeah. Like, no one was busting him. No one was abusing him. But he seems, like, pretty neglected. Because I guess wherever he was staying on the ranch was fully, like, eight miles away from the main ranch house. Right. So he was just this kid that was, like, out there running a ranch by himself. And eventually, like, the loneliness got to him. And so he decides to um, 
put his original clothes back on because he didn't want to take something that wasn't his from his foster parents. Again, very thoughtful of him. Um, and he hitchhikes um, to uh, Haskell, where he started. Is that where he started? I thought they were in Abilene. They, they have a... Well, they go to Haskell for some reason. They go to, like, there's ten different locations involved in this, yeah. this trip, so I'd forget, I, I'll would i forgive any, any forgetting of any of them. So, Barney makes it to Haskell, where I guess his parents had lived, only to find that they had moved, um, but he then goes on to Cleburne, Texas, where he finds his birth father, and his birth father... Birth... Birth father? <laughs> his birth father... <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> oh, um, anyway, him and his dad, they travel. Uh, they they decide to go on and look for his mother and stepfather and they travel to Humble, Texas. Um, I guess I don't know why they went there. It's not made clear, but that's across the state from where Od- Od- Odessa is, where Barney's final destination ends up being. So Barney rides a bus after all this time. Of hitchhiking around and then being with his dad from Humble to Odessa, which I don't know if you guys know how big Texas is, but that's a really long bus ride. Texas is a very big state. Um, it it's is a big ass state. It, it, it's, uh, it's a big so one. It, I mean, just just look at just look at the map in your uh, in the geography section of your reenacted and unsolved mysteries podcast workbook. And you will see, mm-hmm. <laughs> you will you will get an idea of just how big it is. <laughs> and just just a word of uh, warning: Alaska might look smaller, uh, but that's just because mm-hmm. they had to shrink it down to fit. It's actually the largest state, mm-hmm. very big, b- yeah, bit of territory. <laughs> Have we had an Alaska case yet? Uh, we we had, we had kind of one, right? We had that guy who d- was driving through British Columbia. British Columbia, yeah. That from that was the college, right? That, yeah, that was the one that snapped to my mind. But I don't think we've had one that takes hmm. place explicitly in Alaska. Oh man, I've, I can't wait to. That'll we, be great. Like we're we're gonna <laughs> drop some northern exposure stuff in that, right? Yeah. If if uh, if the opportunity. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll force it. We'll force it. <laughs> oh, Just like man. Fleshman okay, forcing anyway. a joke. Uh. <laughs> we'll wedge it in there. Yeah. Um God, I love that show. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, what Barney? He goes. He's now he's in Odessa. And guess what? He actually finds his uh, his mother and stepfather in the reenactment. They're there greeting him when he gets off the bus, and they don't even recognize him because he has like glasses on. And he's you know he's he's had a year like on the road and working on the ranch. He you know these are hard times. You know he's a he's a young man now, and they 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 barely recognize him. But anyway, it's yeah. it's kind of a happy ending for Barney because. Um, Barney learns from his mom that like she never signed any papers. She didn't give him up. Right. They, he was straight kidnapped. Outright kidnapped. He was kidnapped and then he was like handed off to work for I mean I guess he got food and shelter and stuff but like didn't nobody ask you to do that? No. Reverend Nichols? I, Anyways. I, I, ha- so, I have to yes. I have to believe that the, the father Father Nicholas is it's getting like he's getting money for this. He must be like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably a small fee or something like that. But yeah. Um, also, he's not a father. He's a reverend. It's difference. Um, okay. So, uh, so Barney ends up living until with his parents until he married in 1947. So that's I guess about six years later. Mm-hmm. Um when he moves out of the house. Um, and then a couple of years after that, him and his wife travel to Abilene and they're trying to find Angeline. Like Angeline was never located by the parents. You know, she was taken and then she wasn't adopted out to the same family as Barney. So who knows? Yeah. Um, so Barney actually tracks down Nick Crane, which is like su- such a villainous name, isn't it? <laughs> Nick Crane. The son of, 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 of Reverend Rev- Nichols, yes, I, like yeah, the the reenactment where where Barney goes into the it was like a drugstore that a pharmacy that Nick is working at. I just you know 
they played in the reenactment where Barney's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. And then obviously he's going into an explanation. But I was like, in my mind, I, I, w- I would have seen myself like, because Nick was like, I don't know how complicit he was in his father's activities, but he was present at some of that shit. Mm-hmm. And I just like, in my mind... <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I went there. I went to Barney being like, uh, I don't know if you remember me. My name's blah, 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 you know, Barney, you know, and you guys took me away from my parents and he pulls out a revolver and just like shoots him. I, I, or, yeah. or at the very I least like Barney punches get... the guy's lights out. I though, Or like grabs him by the collar. Tell me where she is. Yeah. Tell me where my sister <laughs> is. is. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted something. I just, I just think Barney's just like, I don't know. Pretty chill. To, to, yeah, he, <laughs> pretty he, he seemed dude. pretty chill because, like, basically Nick was just sort of like, oh, well, my father's dead, but there's a bunch of documents mm-hmm. of his in the back that you, you're free to look through, which was mighty obliging mm-hmm. of him. Uh, I was really kind of mm-hmm. dissatisfied. I was hoping that, uh, that, that the father would still be alive so that, like, Barney could, like, just confront him direct, directly, but uh, mm-hmm. such is life. Anyway, they they didn't find it. Well, they yeah. didn't f- they didn't find her. Yeah. So help us unsolve mysteries. Um, I you know one of the things I, the things about lost loves I've mentioned this a lot is sort of their obsolescence in the digital age, which is <laughs> had Facebook existed in 1992, I think Barney probably could have pretty easily found his sister or found someone who knew his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Of course, Unsolved Mysteries being what it is, we, we, I mean, of course we have an update. Come on. Yeah. It's Unsolved Mysteries. It's the last love segment. Uh, So Neil Smith of Cedar Hill, Texas, uh, was watching the broadcast because that's what everyone was doing on Wednesday nights back in the 90s. And he recognized uh, that his, his, and she's now going by Martha Jean Smith, recognized that his adopted sister was Angeline. Um, and so, you know, he calls the, he calls the call center, Neil Smith does, and, and hooks them up with Angeline, who now lives in Arizona. And then only a few weeks after the first broadcast, uh, they were reunited. And there's just, there's like, it's nice. You know, Barney gets to show her the photo book and stuff. And, and he reassures everyone that Angeline had a very nice growing up experience. She was, a, you know, adopted to this Smith family. It's your standard reunion on this show. So it was fine. And everything was fine after 50 years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, Crystal, do you want to you wanna search for a killer? Oh, I can't wait, man. We're talking about murder. We didn't really talk about who was gonna who's gonna take the lead on this one. Uh, I'll actually, I'll start because so. uh, it's it takes okay. place in ten- Tennessee, Chapel Mountain, mm-hmm. which is north of Chattanooga. We still haven't gotten contact. We we have not been contacted by the Chattanooga tourism tourism board. board. No, we have not. Even though we we dropped some ad some of the, some of their adverts for. Visiting Chattanooga mm-hmm. into previous episodes. We sure did. A city called Chattanooga. I, I feel like Chattanooga. we've made some very strange choices for who to try to like extract money out from. Because we spent like our yeah. our first year trying to trying to get in with Howard Johnson. But right, right, yeah. In, in retrospect, that seems like not a good effort. Yeah. No, no. But anyway, so we're in Tennessee. It's sort of the we get a opening where Robert Stack's talking about the Appalachian Mountains. You know, kind of we're in a small town sort of situation, and mm-hmm. we are following Joe and Maddie who own a gas station slash convenience store. Um, yeah, it's the getting things store. It's a what? What? Yeah, it's the local getting things store. It's where you go to get things. Oh, yes, yes. It's the store. It's a, yeah, it's a getting things store. 
Uh, and yeah. you know they they show that they are very uh, trusting couple. They uh, apparently kept a large amount of cash on hand, uh, and refu- like Joe refused to purchase a, a gun to defend the store. Uh, so both those things are sort of ominously dropped in, and we basically then get a description of was it a neighbor or just like a potential customer someone someone noticed one morning that their store was not open promptly at nine like it always is and you know they need to get their things uh so you know they but so the local law enforcement comes uh checks out the the home that is i guess they live right near the 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 gas station they own and he walks in and it's like i was confused because the narration robert stack said gave the impression that like he said gutted so you thought like you'd think like oh well it's been it's been robbed uh you know they and they've took everything but then when i was watching i was like wait a second that room looks like it's been burned and th- that's something they don't like address until a little bit later on. But uh, the sh- the sheriff notices that something's amiss. He goes outside and sees like drops of blood with hair matted into it on the ground. So he's like, "Oh, something's happened." And we get a. The, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation come out. It was not too long after this that then they had a relative, right? Cheryl, Cheryl Holland. She was a niece mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. They have a reenactment where they show earlier, you know, that she came into the, uh, she'd come into the, the store with her daughter that, that, Maddie just adored so much and Cheryl disappeared at some point. And so they like the, the law enforcement found her car with like her wallet and stuff scattered into it. So you would think that there had been maybe a kidnapping. So, you know, mm-hmm. this sends up all kind of alarm bells. Cause people are like, what is going <laughs> on? You know, the, the obvious, I mean, mm-hmm. th- this is, this is, can't be a coincidence so they you know the they have a reenactment of the law enforcement interrogating cheryl's common-law husband right they weren't married yeah they really emphasize the common-law aspect they mention it like two or three times at least uh, is that even a thing anymore i or is that a thing i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah but eddie wooten who the reenactor portraying him possesses a hairline that I will probably end up possessing within five within five years myself. Uh, he he gives initially a sort of yeah I was having to drive Cheryl around because of medical appointments because she had something. Uh, yeah, I don't remember where we stayed at that night and. You know, just a lot of inconsistencies to his story. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have to twist him too much for him to just start to come out. Like, he he just, I love how he prefaces it. Like, he said something like along the lines of, if I tell you what happens, am I going to be in trouble? <laughs> what happened? It's like, <laughs> and then he basically he, confesses. Here's the, um, here's the answer here and always. Yes. <laughs> yes, you will be in trouble. If you do not have a lawyer present to argue for some kind of trade of immunity from prosecution if you sell somebody else out, yes, you will be in trouble. Oh, that's interesting. I see. So we, we you can't just take it on, on their word. No, you should not believe them. <laughs> Good to know. If you tell them the truth, if they try to get you to tell, you, tell them the truth and you know you did something, the only thing you should be saying is a lawyer. That's it. Uh, you don't tell them anything uh, else. 
Okay. Okay. Don't do that. Because now I'm I am not a lawyer. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. No. I've also never been interrogated by the police. I'm just trying to offer some helpful like life tips, and that I wish Eddie maybe. I'm glad he didn't because he's well. You'll get to that. I'm glad he didn't. Yeah. Because he's where he belongs. So. Yeah, that's but we'll true. We'll get to that. Right. Now, you know the prisoner's dilemma, right? That game theory thing? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They don't mention those guys having their lawyers present. So I kind of feel like regardless of what decisions they made, they probably came out really badly <laughs> regardless of whether they cooperated mm-hmm. or not. Anyway, so Eddie just, he confesses that because Cheryl, she needed money, right, for some treatment. And so she knew that Joe and Maddie had six figures worth of cash on them. Mm-hmm. And so she and her two children and Eddie drive over to their house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they get they get out of the car and uh, the, the truck. And I'm just like... The fact that they have like a little little baby and a small girl in the in the truck is just how many times have, have people committed this sort of crime or like, uh, oh, we can't get a sitter, so <laughs> just leave the kids out in the car. That's uh, well, I mean plenty plenty of kids have been waiting out in their car while their parents went and scored something. Yeah. So true. And it's in the reenactment, it's when they reached the bottom of the steps leading up to the door that Cheryl's like, okay, so here's the deal. We're going to have to kill, kill them. <laughs> and, Eddie, and he's like, what? And I don't know if in the, re- in the reenactment, the reenactor was trying to sort of play it as sort of a, I'm not sure why the hell I'm going along with this, but guess I am. Mm-hmm. And they go into the house. Cheryl's Josie. Cheryl. And he's like, "Oh, hey, Cheryl." And Cheryl's like, "Where? Where's Maddie?" And he's, you know, says she's out in the back room or whatever. And Cheryl go leaves. And it would seem strange to me, like if I had a situation like that, where I would have, I would have been like, "God, that was just straight to business." But I don't know. You know, if I'm if I'm watching something on TV and. You know, someone comes by and they're not wanting to talk with me. That's fine. That's fine. Let me watch my show. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Eddie then (laughs) then comes in and they show him like just shoot Joe straight in the head and rotate in place. Mm -hmm. Maddie comes walking out of the room and he shoots her as well. I'm Mm -hmm. assuming share like. Because they suggest that there really wasn't very deep planning done on this. Cheryl, like, I'm assuming she's, you know, staying in the room and not choosing to walk out in the hallway until at least a little bit of time passes. Because you don't want to get end up getting shot by friendly fire. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. they They murdered... Uh, Joe and Maddie, and apparently, this is where the the fire the burnt stuff comes into place. Maddie tried to burn the house down with a thing of gasoline. Yeah, she comes back. So they they ditch the body. Oh, that's they right. Put them in that's the right. They, their own they, car. They have they have the kids. They have the kids go lay down so that they don't see the bodies being dragged out. Dump them in the trunk in the trunks of Joe and Maddie's own car, and they t- they take a take it off to somewhere to some dam or, or or somewhere some harbor, and just you know roll the the car into the uh, into the water, and Cheryl comes back and they portray her you know dumping some gasoline and starting a fire. And they have a reenactment where apparently she came back a couple of days later to watch the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation conducting the investigation. Mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, to me, initially, anytime they, in any of these segments, they say that the person does something like that. I'm like, are you crazy? 
But I guess I could kind of understand why she came out because, like, she was probably expecting that house to just burn, like, burn down completely. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. apparently, the fire it hap it it went on in the house, but like didn't consume it totally to the point where the at least for the mm-hmm. exterior kind of looks normal. So she was probably she came back because she was sort of like maybe I can get a sense of how much they know what's going on, uh, uh, sort mm-hmm. of by joining the group of people behind the police tape watching. And we actually get a wonderful reenactment of one of the people doing the investigation, bringing out the gas can and saying pretty much right in front of her, Hey, look, there's mm-hmm. a bloody fingerprint on the bottom of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the reenact acting actor who portrays Cheryl kind of went chose to go with a little bit of a, like a subdued reaction to it. Like, you know, sort of how, how you, you do if you're trying to replicate someone being like, okay, don't panic, don't panic. Don't, don't act like you're reacting to that. Okay. Just got to get out of here. Just got to get out of here. Um, and so, yeah, Cheryl was participant, was, part of this this horrific crime and mm-hmm. the author- you know unsolved mysteries is giving us info on you know what she might look like and and so forth no wait before we get to the her getting caught there's another little bit of tidbit i forgot about the gas mm-hmm. station mm-hmm. there oh yeah yeah it, there was some some assumption that she may, because they they the the attitude of unsolved mysteries before the end of the segment is like we don't know what happened and we won't know what happened until we talk to Cheryl, so <clears throat> we're trying to find her. That's the mystery. Where's Cheryl? Mm-hmm. So there was this little because she because her car was found at a truck truck stop two hours from home keys were still inside um her necklace was kind of torn off and thrown on the ground yeah uh the, her pocketbook was still in there so like all of her possessions were there basically um and so and then there was some kind of eyewitness saying that there was like a guy in a pontiac or something i don't know like had approached her and so they thought there might be some she might have been abducted maybe yeah yeah and but she wasn't. No. So. Instead, like, there's just this we- these weird interactions with this large uh, guy with a beard where we get one where a convenience store worker sees her pull up to the pumps. She walks in. And as she walks in, another truck pulls up. And that guy gets out. And she sees him and is like, uh, never mind. And she goes walking out to her truck they have. She has a few words to exchange as she's getting in her truck, and she drives away. This guy gets in his vehicle and follows her, and then apparently someone else allegedly saw the two of them in the same truck, uh, arguing with each other. But I, mm-hmm. I keep thinking about that cashier, like from her perspective, you know, not knowing about you know, the connection to the other thing. She's like, "Oh no, that poor woman. She's being like stalked." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you know maybe maybe in a way yes but not not in the way that she she's thinking um but yeah we uh we're on the lookout for Cheryl Holland and sure enough as soon as this segment ends there wasn't anything else right no nope. no as soon as this segment ends we get an update she got caught uh Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, there's a lot of convenient... This is a very heavy convenience store segment, because she got mm-hmm. caught working at... Yeah, conven- it, started, it started in a store, it's ended in a store. store. Yeah. Yeah, she got caught working... Uh, she was working on one when she, the authorities picked her up. Um, she She's not eligible for parole for... I think she's still in prison, right? Uh, Wiki, the Wiki says she's eligible for parole in November of next year, so a year from now. Oh wow, that's that's a lot better than what was it? The second or third episode of this show we watched, like 
Someone murdered mm-hmm. a couple of people with a hammer and he served two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just- well, I think it's the I think it's the first degree, the premeditation and the plan that got her the life sentence. Ah, so. I see. I see. Yeah, if you do it just in, as a crime of passion, you only have to go to prison for like 18 months or something. Or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Not that, we're, not that we're suggesting that you commit murders in uh, any degree. <laughs> yeah, would... but if you do and you are questioned by the police, what do you tell them? L- Robbie? Lawyer. What do you tell them? Lawyer. Lawyer. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you have, for some reason, enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, you can find. A, I mean, it would be nice if you left us a rating on iTunes, uh, preferably five stars. That would be great. Kind of even things out. Um, and what else? You can find us on Twitter. We're at Reenacted Pod. Please tweet at us. We like hearing from you. We'd also like to hear from you via email. Those always are uplifting when I hear from people that drop us a nice note. That's reenactedpod at gmail.com. Um, is Facebook still, is there still a fan page over there? I do. And I, I, ca- check on that? I occasionally put updates on it. So, <laughs> oh, well, then maybe check that out if you're still, you know, into that whole like you know if, techno dystopian situation that's happening over if there. If you scroll to the very and, uh, very bottom, you'll find a bunch of amusing images I made in the early days of our pod. Maybe, oh yeah. Maybe I should start reposting some of those. Everyone everyone will Yeah, maybe. Everyone lo- loves the Harry and the Hendersons and uh movie poster that I put DB Cooper into, so Hell yeah. Yeah. Do that. Repost something. Let's like refresh the whole situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess I guess we'll see you guys on the other side of this thing, huh? I hope so. You know what I'm saying? I hope so. Um, Rob- Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone's watching. Perhaps it's you.